Podcaster's Guide to the Conspiracy, brought to you today by Josh Edison and Dr. M. Denton. Hello and welcome to the Podcaster's Guide to the Conspiracy. I am Josh Edison and sitting next to me as always, sipping from what I assume is the skull of an enemy, uh, is Dr. M. R. X. Denton. It is the skull of an enemy, but the way I made it turn into glass is a matter which we will not discuss on this podcast, nor on the bonus content. If you want to know how I turn the skull of my enemy into this glass, and this only works for people watching the video, for audio listeners, you're going, what's going on here? You will have to give us 500 US dollars, and then the story will be told, and just to you patron. Mm. Spoilers though, it does involve ancient Sumerian technologies given to us by extraterrestrials. Ah, uh, but joke's on Josh, it's actually the Anuki who gave it to us. Mm, yes, well, we, th- 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 that will make sense shortly, by the way. That's not just... <laughs> well, actually, no, it'll never it, actually parts make of sense. It will, it will become relevant, pertinent, almost, yes, I suppose. Yes, it will. Because we are going to be talking about a good, good bit, of, bit of good old ancient aliens, the wackiness they got up to in ancient Sumeria. And the fact that Teal goes, indeed, all the time. He certainly does. Uh, but before we go all the way back to ancient Sumeria, we should probably go back to about a week ago and uh, look at the news. Indeed. You were just waiting for that, weren't you? Indeed. Nicely done. Indeed. Breaking, breaking conspiracy theories in the news. Throughout the lifespan of this podcast, we've talked a fair bit about Nicky Hager and his book Dirty Politics. That book exposed a Dirty Tricks campaign which originated from the office of the then Prime Minister John Key. Uh, Now Hager's book relied on a still yet unidentified source, calling themselves Rorschach, uh, who are a hacker who got hold of personal communications by some of the people involved. Now the hunt for Rorschach, if you recall, saw a number of civil liberty violations by the New Zealand police, who were forced to apologise to Hager and to other affected parties. Except now they want to do it again. Uh, Now, Martin Bradbury, a local blogger, discovered that the police had searched through his banking records in the hunt for Rorschach. It was assumed there was a financial connection between the two. The police want to use secret evidence to justify their warrantless search, and Bradbury is not impressed, nor are we. The thing is, though, the use of secret evidence by police and other organisations in the court seems to have become, if not commonplace, uh, then part of the system. Human Rights Watch, for example, has noted that in the US, secret evidence is a long-standing problem in federal and state criminal cases, so Aotearoa New Zealand's justice system is kind of simply keeping up with the Joneses. But secret evidence begets conspiracy theories, because if justice is not seen to be open, then, well, people begin to question why that is. Mm, mm, problematic. Talking about things which are problematic, every so often we are contractually obliged to mention one Alex Jones. Mm. Last week, Jones made the news because of his three-hour deposition related to a case brought against him by the parents of the Sandy Hook massacre. That's the way I've said it. The parents of the, the, parents of the Sandy Hook parents massacre. Of the victims of the Sandy Hook massacre. Yes, yes. Obviously, that was implied. Obviously. But yes. uh, mm. I just said parents of the Sandy Hook massacre. Mm. Anyway, uh, so this disposition seemed to suggest Jones admitted to being psychotic, as he stated. Now, best Alex Jones impression. I, I would not do that to my vocal cords. I can't. I can't and you won't make Best me. mockery of Alex Jones impression. And I, myself, 
have almost had like a form of psychosis back in the past where I basically thought everything was staged, even though I've now learned a lot of times things aren't staged. So I think as a pundit, someone giving an opinion that, you know, my opinions have been wrong, but they were never wrong consciously to hurt people. Josh is just blowing out your earbuds because he has peaked like nothing. Them's the breaks, buddy. It's you true. Are, it's now, note that know. Jones said, like a form of psychosis. It seems Jones has taken a leaf out of the work of one Richard Hofstadter and ascribed to himself a psychotic style, which, crucially, isn't an admission of actual psychosis. Rather, it's something close to it, but caused by a very different process. That is, Jones went on to claim the lying media made him do it. He wouldn't have gone on air to claim Sandy Hook never happened if the media had treated him with some goddamn respect. I would put it that's the real takeaway from Jones's disposition, blaming others and not taking any responsibility for the things he said and put in print. A little bit of the old having his cake and eat it too thing as well. Like, like earlier we saw him saying, oh, that's not me, I'm just putting on an act. Oh, but, but really it is me. Oh, but really I'm putting on an act. Oh, but really it is me. And now he's sort of like, oh, I was not, not well in the head. Only, of course I am well, but I wasn't. But and I was, but it was driven to my unwellness to by the media. Yeah, so. And thus have no responsibility for the things that I said. And mm. also, I never intended to hurt people by claiming that they had faked their children's deaths. Mm. Yeah. Finally. Finally, some Brexit-related news. As you might be aware, uh, the UK was meant to leave the EU on the 29th of March. Uh, recording now on the 4th of April, it has not. At this stage, it is leaving the EU on the 12th of April, except even that doesn't look likely. Um, at the moment, the UK has voted to ensure it doesn't leave without making a deal uh, with the remaining 27 members of the European Union, but it also doesn't favour the deal arranged by the current Prime Minister, Theresa May. Basically, the UK is a broken democracy, and maybe it's time for an intervention. Uh, especially since it now looks like pro-leave activists are trying to blow up railway lines. British Transport Police found explosive devices near Yaxley in Cambridgeshire back on the 21st of March and near the field in Nottinghamshire on the 27th. Both devices contained literature relating to Brexit, linking them to pro-leave campaigners. So that's a thing. Uh, then again, trains are socialism in motion, and the EU is a cultural Marxist plot, allegedly. Also, British Transport Police. How mm. wonderful. It is. A special police force for trains. Mm. Now, I, had to, I, I, I didn't see the details of it, but I did read that these devices that put on wouldn't have caused a problem anyway because of an extra um, sort of redundancy or something that had been introduced to the trains lines as a result of EU regulations. Which I think adds an extra level of, of yeah, delicious irony. Yeah, that's case they tried to the train lines, but the EU already knew what they... Which, of course, actually leads to a conspiracy theory. Mm. Maybe it was the EU who All put the pro-leave literature mm. into the explosive devices that would never have activated, thus never releasing the pro-leave literature, thus meaning the EU, the EU would never have to face the UK leaving. Mm. My God, it's, it's conspiracies all the way up and down. And sideways. Mm. Spiraling towards truth. Yes. Uh, so that is all for the new news. Uh, we do have one little update, though, on stuff we've talked about in the past. And that means playing the sting I specially made at the beginning of this year for updates and retractions, mm. which, in many respects, is pointless. But we're going to play it right now anyway. Updates and retractions. 
That was a delightful sting, and I think we're all the better for hearing it. It's true. Mm. Last week we asked, is anyone going to talk about the assault on the Green Party co-leader James Shaw? Or has the terror attack in Otutahi made it non-news? This was noteworthy before the March 15th terror attack because the assailant muttered something about the UN Migration Pact, a popular far-right conspiracy theory at the time. Well, our thoughts and prayers have been answered by a report in the New Zealand Herald which says the attacker is in court and a mental health report has been ordered before his next arraignment, which is in May. So I guess there'll be another update then. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it does. It would have been a bigger deal, I think, had it not been almost instantly pushed out of the news cycle. Yeah, within a, 24 mm, hours. By a much, a much, much worse event. So... Yeah, it'll be interesting to see, and I mean, you know, it, it, it's it, it's kind of disappeared, but it's not not a big deal. No, I mean, we we have a fairly open parliamentary system where MPs and the Prime Minister are very social members in society, and that's in part because they don't wander around with security details all the time. We don't really want a situation where our political elites kind of don't live with us. Mm. Mm, yes, and um, if it turns out that this particular one was indeed uh, motivated by sort of an, an alt-right talking point conspiracy theory, then um, someone's got some splaining to do. Indeedy. Mm. Talking about splaining, shall we jaunt over to Baghdad and explain what a Stargate is to our audience? I think we should. Lock that chevron. We're going to be talking about Stargates today. <laughs> we sure are, and I'm Stargates. grinning like nothing on earth because yes. it allows me to talk about one of my favourite shows of all time, Stargate SG-1. Now, hang on, sorry, I think you're mistaken there. Stargate wasn't a TV series, it was a 1994 movie with James Spader and, and Kurt Russell in it, wasn't it? And then a far superior TV series starring MacGyver. No, see, so you're just making that up. I'm Come not on. making that up. Richard okay. Dean Anderson and Michael Shanks, Amanda Tapping, and I'm having a complete blank on Jewel the State actor. Jewel State was in it at one point, wasn't hmm? she? Was she in one of the spin-offs? Sorry, Jewel State. Yeah, she was. Uh, she was in. She was in Stargate Atlantis, right, not the yes, spin-offs. The Stargate. Yeah. There were two spin-offs. Actually, there was 83 spin-offs to Stargate. But let's let's hold let's back on, things, yeah. on the fiction. Let's focus on the facts, Joshua. I was going to say. Let me focus on the facts. Yeah. Before you get to your fictional Stargates, let's talk about the truth. The truth about Stargate. And the real reason why we attempted to invade Iraq not once, but twice. Mm. Three times a Stargate lady. Yes. So so there, there exists in the world uh, a conspiracy theory which says that the reason why the US invaded Iraq, uh, certainly the second time, and I assume by implication the first time as when well. But also the whole Nazi thing indicates also earlier in mm. the 20th century as well. Uh, is that... Somewhere underneath Iraq is an ancient stargate gifted to, to Earth by extraterrestrials thousands of years ago. Um, and the government knows about this and, and wants control of its stargate technologies. Now, the 2003 invasion was important because Saddam Hussein was literally keeping the stargate 
in a basement in one of his palaces. Mm. So mm. we had to invade, and I say we, the West, had to invade to get access to that basement so that we could have the Stargate rather than Saddam Hussein. Mm. So the whole thing is, it's kind of an expansion on the sort of ancient aliens, which I know we've talked about UFOs before. Have we actually done ancient we haven't really touched on Eric Von Daniken. Time time, I mean, we probably it? should do mm. a deep dive into Von Daniken as a theorist, because, of course, as we were discussing before the show, Eric Von Daniken, author of Chariot of the Gods, Gods? and we have to go up at the end it because does have a question yeah, mark. it is yeah. Chariot of the Gods question mark is a kind of famous figure in the ancient astronaut literature, although arguably he actually stole the thesis from earlier writers like Robert Chereau and the writers behind Morning of the Magicians. But he kind of solidified this notion that our ancient gods are in fact ancient astronauts, and they left behind their codified wisdom in religion their material culture in temples and our recreation of those temples, and of course the hypothesis that it was an earlier civilization or set of civilizational complexes which were actually quite high technology because of the presence of alien technology. And then it gets into racism with arguments that the Egyptians kind of built the pyramids because mm. they were primitive people, and only Europeans know how to build triangles. But that's another matter that's entirely. That's another matter entirely, yes. So, I mean, when it comes to evidence... Um, the, the, the people who believe in these conspiracy theories will say there is a large amount of it... Um, well, well, it, maybe you should be the judge. So a lot of what we're talking about today comes from an article, An Exopolitical Perspective on the Preemptive War Against Iraq, by Dr. Michael E. Sulla, uh, written in 2003, just before, you know, when it was obvious, and I believe an invasion was um, on the cards, but hadn't actually happened yet. Now, this, this article appears at exopolitics.org. Mm. Josh, what is exopolitics? I'm, People who aren't aware. I'm glad you asked. Um, exopolitics is basically political theory based on the assumption that extraterrestrials exist and we have their technology and governments know about it and are covering it up. Um, so from that viewpoint, uh, it becomes clear that the invasion of Iraq is, is for, for extraterrestrial purposes, and therefore there are a whole bunch of political considerations around that, but most of which boil down to the government should fess up what it knows about extraterrestrials, which seems to be the usual thrust of most things written um, in this area. Yeah, and I mean, exopolitics is slightly more than just the ufological movement, which claims that lights in the skies are in fact evidence of flying saucers, because the exopolitics people tend to make the claim that not only are there aliens out there who are visiting the Earth, but they have a sustained presence on the Earth now, and some people believe they've had a sustained presence on the Earth going back thousands of years. Mm. So the conspiracy can either be, at some point in the 20th century, aliens came and are now involved in our government, or the entire history of humanity is infused with extraterrestrial infiltration. Mm. Um, so as, as Dr. Seller puts it, exopolitics is based on the premise of an extraterrestrial presence that is subject to non-disclosure 
by clandestine government organizations. So there, there your cover-up conspiracy theories come in in full force. But that word disclosure, I, I know when we've talked about UFO conspiracy theories in the past, the word disclosure has been, has been fairly prominent because that's what they always want. They, want. they want to force disclosure and the governments are all about non-disclosure. Yes, so it is assuming there is something to disclose. Mm. Um, so, I'm, it's 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 a, a not super lengthy paper, but it's it's lengthier than you would think possibly the subject matter uh, warrants. Uh, so so just sort of distilling it, he, t he first of all says, you know, what is the evidence that there is extraterrestrial technology in Iraq, and and then sort of dives pretty much straight into the ancient alien stuff. So uh, the works referred to are mostly one by this person called Zechariah Sitcher. Um, and then sort of brings in your, your Eric von Dannekens and so on later. Um, but when it comes down to, actually, sorry, no, first of all, it says um, we know about extraterrestrial presence sort of in the present day because of the, all the, the large number of whistleblowers who supposedly have come forward from the military and government to say what they know about extraterrestrial stuff. And that's there's this project disclosure on the internet where supposedly these people will get together and um, say what they know. But... Um, from then on, going back to the historical stuff, um, it, it seems to be pretty much your typical ancient aliens affair. You've got people say, you know, looking at all these um, sort of drawings and, and document, uh, documentary evidence that we have, these, these bits kind of look, 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 look like a spaceship. And look, here, here's this picture from ancient Sumeria where people are sort of standing around kind of a disc and there's sort of symbols that are to do with maybe stars or the moons or something. Maybe that's a, like a Stargate portal thing. Mm. Or maybe it's just a circle. I mean, so I remember reading Eric von Däniken when I was much younger. And Church of the Gods, with the question mark at the end, is actually quite a fascinating book. Because in the first book, von Däniken basically is going, this is a hypothesis we should explore. It's really only from Gold of the Gods onwards. He goes, no, no one's been able to disprove my alien thesis. It must be true. Archaeologists and anthropologists are hiding the truth from us all. But a lot of his evidence is, this looks like a circuit diagram. This looks like a spacecraft. This looks like a electronic light in ancient Egypt. And... My father was an electrical engineer, so when I had an image of this looks like a circuit diagram, according to Eric von Daniken, I just took said image to my father and said, apparently this is a circuit diagram. My father went, can't be, nothing's joined up. Mm. And so often there's an assumption that this looks strange. The closest analogy I can draw between this strange thing and something I have experience of is this thing over here. Ipso facto, it must be this thing I have experience of, as opposed to what most art historians and anthropologists will say, which is, stylistically, things get represented in a whole bunch of different ways in a whole bunch of different cultures, and because of that, some things just look really odd unless you've got the cultural coding to be able to interpret the art. I mean, actually, a good example of this is the kind of religious iconography you get in the various Greek, Romanian, Russian orthodoxies, where you get these icons of saints or of Jesus Christ the Messiah in Christian eschatology, with the kind of strange hand symbols or hand mm. over heart or a halo of a particular color. Now, if you've got the right training in orthodoxy, 
you know how to read the individual parts to know exactly what those symbols mean. But if you don't have the right training in orthodox iconography, you look at it going, why does St. Paul have three fingers up and St. Peter only two? And golden halo for that one and silver? I have no idea what's going on there. Sometimes you need some background information to interpret these. And of course, if you come with background information, there was high technology in the past, then you interpret those images in the same way. Mm. Yeah, so when you get right down to it, the whole thing seems to be based on a fairly loose assumption, which is then taken as fact for everything that comes after it. So there's, there's, you know, this thing looks a bit like a spaceship or a stargate, so what if it really is? And then builds an entire, an entire sort of alien, uh, ancient alien paradigm thing from it. And then, um, uh, and then you get, in the, in, the, in the sort of documents we have from them, they talk about these godlike figures but what if they were really aliens from another world? And it sort of starts at the what if, but then from that point onwards, it's taken as truth. And again, the entire ancient alien Josh, extraterrestrial stuff. What if God was one of us? Just a slob like one of us? Just a, a, just a stranger, stranger on a bus? That would be weird. Trying to make his way home. Hmm. E.T. Phone. Home. You're saying Jonah Osborne is Jesus? Yes. Right. Okay. Yes. Glad we sorted that out. So, um, so in particular, in, in Sumerian myth, you have the, these um, beings known as the Anunnaki, and they are these sort of you know godlike uh, figures in the myth. And so that's sort of even even in this paper I was reading, it's basically so this guy thought, what if these people were gods, and then started rereading the text on the assumption that they, they're, they're, sorry, not, what if these gods were actually uh, extraterrestrials, started not rereading... strangers on a bus. Not strangers on a bus at all. Didn't have buses in ancient Sumeria, or did they? <laughs> we don't know, but we'll find out. Um, and so, so starts reading all this on that assumption, and then and so from there making a whole bunch of inferences and so on, and it just sort of goes on and on and on. So, so the story they come up with is... These these Anunnaki were extraterrestrials who came to uh, Earth during the during the time of the ancient Sumerian civilization, bestowed upon them various technologies, and then supposedly from light buses. Well, it could be from from sort of looking at ancient Sumerian texts and images. Uh, there, there are things that you know. Th then you say, "Oh, that looks like a spaceship. That looks like you know." Uh, uh, um, anatomical details of the human body that they couldn't have known. This looks like star systems that they couldn't have known about and all that sort of stuff and so on. Um, now, supposedly the Anunnaki left following a series of catac cataclysms uh, between 1800 and 1700 BC. I assume that is how you could write off the fact that this technology still no longer exists today. Although it doesn't explain what, like, if the Sumerian had access to technology that would let them travel across the galaxy through stargates and stuff, what, why, 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 like, what did, what did they do with that? Yeah, see, I suppose I'm you thinking... could say there's a whole bunch of Sumerian ancestors. No, no, it's out greatest of the galaxy, American but... superhero. They lost the manual. Ah, they lost the manual. Great and we're only know. smart enough now, we white people, mm, to be able mm. to work out how to use the Stargate. Mm. But um, so, but then it comes to prophecy, which is the is the good stuff because of course the Anunnaki they're going to come back, they're going to come back and soon, or possibly six years ago, but. 
seven years ago now. We'll get to that. Um, so the, these texts, the, the, these texts which are interpreted to be the Anunnaki are going to come back. Some people say maybe not, maybe it's not so much they're coming back, but their home planet Nibiru uh, dun, uh, dun, dun. is going to be coming back around in its orbit, and maybe that's what it's referring to. Um, and then you get into the whole. 2012 Mayan prophecy thingy, and then saying, "Oh, look, so here's this this very significant date in the Mayan calendar, which is going to happen in 2012, and maybe that's so that's significant, and that's when it's all going to kick off, and so on and so forth." Um, and so marry that with the whole extraterrestrial um, disclosure, non-disclosure, governmental stuff, and you end up with the U.S. invaded Iraq to get at its extraterrestrial technology, specifically stargates, which would have been under the ancient Sumerian cities that are around where modern-day Iraq is, and they need to get these extra extraterrestrial technologies so that when the aliens come back in 2012, they'll be ready for them to either try and attack us or possibly um, grant us more technologies that we'll want to know how to use. Possibly one 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 uh, interpretation of the prophecy is that uh, not that the aliens are going to come back, but that our consciousness will undergo a great ev evolution and will evolve into ethereal beings or something. How very Talhad Deshadan. Mm, I was going to say, yes. So um, so you've just described the plot of Independence Day 2. I have a little, have I? Kind of. Oh, I mean, that's about them coming back, too. and there's a there's a portal by the good aliens who come to save us from the bad ones, and there's too much Brent Spiner. It's a terrible film. Oh, well, terrible, terrible glad film. I haven't seen it. So, um, yeah. So the whole thing, it's it's sort of it's all based on if you accept this initial premise, then here's several dozen other ones which will follow from it. But they never really get beyond that's just what it looks like as a justification. So you're saying it's slippery slope for the argument. It is very slippery slope. There, there, there's some more stuff in there. When it talks about the modern stuff, it talks about the fact that um, uh, so it gets to the why now bit of it, and it talks about... Um, uh, the fact that Germans had been been excavating there, so maybe they had stumbled onto something. It talked about what Saddam Hussein had been up to. Presumably he knows about the stuff that's buried under his country. It talks about the 2003 Space Shuttle Columbia disaster and suggests that... As an attack to warn the US yes, off from invading Iraq. Suggests that that was no accident, that, that Columbia was deliberately destroyed by possibly Israeli forces. They weren't quite clear on that. As a warning to the US to stop trying to... Sorry, are you saying that this paper about ancient alien technology also contains within it crypto-antisemitism? Well, only very loosely, and that Israel is mentioned as one of, the, as one of the, the global powers possibly behind an attack on US interests. So a little bit, but not much. So yeah, so basically, we invaded the West, invaded Iraq to get control of the Stargate. Hmm, hmm. Uh, Stargates, eh? I hear there was a television series about them. There was. Now, I've mentioned Stargate SG-1, not so much the other series, Stargate Atlantis, Stargate Universe, and the not-much-talked-about animated spin-off Stargate Infinity several times, in part because one of my go-to claims about misinformation slash disinformation is a plot point in Stargate. So Stargate, the TV series, which is a spin-off but not a direct sequel to the movie. So there are events in the TV series which directly contradict the film, including the spelling of characters' names. Hmm. So it's very much the movie occurred in one reality and Stargate SG-1 is kind of in a reality where events very much like the film occurred but didn't 
occur exactly. Are the characters meant to be like, is, is the Richard Dean Anderson character meant to be the Kurt Russell it character? Is, is, yeah. He, is yeah. it actually that character or just an analogue? It's meant to be that. Okay. Yeah, it is meant. Yeah. It is meant to be that character, and the Michael Shanks character is meant to be James Spader. James Spader right. character, uh, Teal'c and Captain Carter are completely new characters mm. to the franchise. But Stargate is a series all about conspiracy because the whole premise of Stargate the film and Stargate SG One is that we do have access to a piece of alien techno technology, a Stargate, which allows you to form a wormhole on Earth to another wormhole elsewhere in the galaxy and allow instantaneous transfer of matter through it. So there's a Stargate network, which allowed a former alien empire to be able to ferry goods around the place at high speed. And for some reason, Earth has been locked out of that network for quite some time until the Stargate is discovered in ancient Egypt in the early 20th century. So not only do you have a conspiracy by world governments to hide the existence of the Stargate network, you also have conspiracies within conspiracies of organizations that know of the Stargate program, but don't have quite the peaceful view of it that the US Air Force has, which is a really weird mm. sentence to put forward. Those peaceniks in the US Air Force, damn hippies. But then there are other rogue elements in the American government that actually want to weaponize the Stargate program of some particular kind. And of course, because there's an external alien threat, you get conspiracy within the conspiracy of the conspiracy, where the aliens infiltrate the conspiracy against the Stargate program to take over the conspiracy against the Star Star Stargate program unbeknownst to the conspirators themselves. So what you're saying is, it is a show that's absolutely chock full of conspiracies and conspiracy theories. Yes, and the best conspiracy in it is the show within a show, Wormhole Extreme. So there's a plotline which occurs in the first half of Stargate, the series, where it turns out there is an alien living on Earth who is trying to be entrapped by other aliens from the same species that want to go home. And the very end, end of the storyline has the other aliens escaping Earth and this one alien who loves being on Earth just staying here. And then several years later, you get a new storyline where this a alien is now working as a TV producer slash writer for a TV series called Wormhole Extreme which is about a bunch of military officers who use a Stargate-like device to explore the world. And the US Air Force gets just a little bit concerned that this program is going to reveal the Stargate network to the entire world, so there's an investigation to find out what's go going on. But long story short, the plotline ends with the US Air Force going, actually, we're going to allow this TV series to continue being on air because it gives us a plausible cover story. If anyone ever starts talking about a Stargate program, we can point them to Wormhole Extreme and go, no, actually, you're talking about that TV show over there. So it's basically the X-Files of the Stargate universe, because, of course, when the X-Files was big on TV, people thought that was a disinformation campaign being run by the American government to cover up actual UFO events. Mm. So even even the good guys then in Stargate are involved in a lot of covering up. Yes, and there's actually quite a lot of angst in the 
in Stargate SG-1 as to whether it's appropriate to keep the Stargate network from the general pu public. So there are several plot lines where the network is almost revealed to the public, and then there's angst as to whether, whether it would have been a bad thing or not, balance with the, but then they're going to find out we've been lying to them for quite some time. And so there's a whole bunch of discussion about necessary secrecy and whether it's appropriate to keep secrets from the public. Hmm. Well, so so basically it should become apparent at this point that the reason why we chose to talk about uh, conspiracy theories around ancient Stargates under Iraq and, and government cover-ups was basically so that Em could talk about uh, a favourite show. Indeed. Uh, which is what Teal says all the time. Which is what we've just done. So anything else before we uh, wrap things up? What else you got for us? Well, I mean, so as I say, it's actually most science fiction to a large extent involves conspiracy as a kind of major plot point because almost all science fiction has you think you know what's going on but actually it turns out to be aliens apart from in the few cases where you think what you think you know what's going on it's a, a aliens and it turns out to be human beings instead so i mean there's a resurrection of the cold war because america and russia have competing stargate programs so they're kind of engaged in a alien technology cold war to control what's going on there but no it's uh, probably a very dated show now it's been off the air for almost a decade and it's probably one of those ones where they have access to alien technology but all our all our smartphones are better than whatever computers they were using back then yes and actually i mean as people point out you look at law the law and order franchise looking at the use of computers in the show shows you how far the show has gone from its early days where occasionally they'll go to a terminal to type things in to get a hit to spending their entire time enlarging and enhancing photos mm. on screen. And Star Stuggett has the same issue. Starts off with CRTs, ends up with LCDs. Yes, that was always the thing. Any, any science fiction film from the 90s, Demolition Man's a great one. I forget exactly. It's it's set in the twenty thirties, is it? Something like that. It's 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 still actually in the future. But yes, everyone there has CRT TVs. I mean, it's one of the big faults with Babylon Five in that CRTs are really really big in the future mm. of Babylon Five, and that's the twenty third century. So CRTs are going to make a comeback. And no one has cell phones, although a lot of the time they do just sort of have a thing where they can touch their ear. Yeah, or a special so. communicator mm, on their mm. hand, which looks awfully like an Apple Watch, but without any kind of display. Yes, yes. So, uh, conspiracy theories aside then, just as a as an artifact of pop culture, should people go out and watch Stargate SG-1, or is it just a bit too behind the times now? See, I would say people should watch Stargate SG-1 because... For all of the ridiculousness of the plot, Stargate Networks, aliens posing as gods, once it puts down a rule, it obeys that rule religiously. So there's a particular point early on where it turns out that Stargates can only be active for a certain amount of time before they also shut off. So they have a whole bunch of plot lines based upon not being able to close the Stargate or wanting to keep the Stargate open for longer than the required time. So how can they get around it? Well, they have this weapon called a Sestat, which is a kind of snake-like looking handgun where the first shot paralyzes you the second shot kills you, and the third shot disintegrates you. 
so it always takes three shots to disintegrate something, and they obey that rule even with inanimate objects. So the first shot stuns the rock, the second shot kills the rock, and then the third shot disintegrates the rock. That, that's good. I want to make sure my rocks are thoroughly yeah, dead before but, I disintegrate yeah, them. Once they have a rule, they obey that rule. So it's a great case of a science fiction show that has a series bible, and they go, we're not going to contravene any of these rules. We're going to obey them, even if it does mean we need to get, make that chest disappear. Okay, three shots it'll be. Mm. Stun the chest, kill the chest, disintegrate the chest. Mm. And I suppose it was the last thing Richard, and, Richard Dean Anderson did. He retired after. Star so he did. Film. I mean, yeah. So he did cameos in Atlantis and Stargate Universe. He was then in a sitcom as a background character for a while, but he retired after that. Yeah. yeah. And I believe actually he retired for health reasons. Mm. We've got a good good on him. He was here a little while ago at our at Armageddon, the big big pop culture conference here. Our but, our version of Comic Con essentially. Yeah, pretty much, yes. Um so there you go. Stargates. Uh, they're on your television. They're underneath Iraq as far as you know. And they also had a theme song, which I assume is what you're doing right. I, I, it should be said, I watched uh, every now and then, I might have seen an episode of Stargate SG-1, but I never really watched it at all. Were, you a, the fan, movie with James yeah, were you a fan of the film? Uh, not a massive fan. I enjoyed it at the time. I don't know if I've ever actually seen it since 1994 when I See, went and saw it in the See, that was the first film I ever watched twice on, on the big screen. Really? Yeah, I enjoyed it so much, I went back the next day. The first film I ever saw twice on the big screen was Hot Shots Part Deux. That's a good it choice. Funny. It was funny. It is a good choice. Thanks, Topper. Mm. You taught me to kill again. The most I've ever seen a film in the theatres is four times, which was The Matrix. Which, if you want to talk conspiracies... Mm. Red pill or blue pill? Well, exactly. Yes, unfortunate. Uh, exactly the direction where pop culture took that specific <laughs> reference. But um, yeah, anyway. and with that bit of sighing, should we announce what we're going to maybe what the we bonus should. Yep. episode listeners yep, get yep, to hear? Yeah. Uh, so we're going to be uh, talking shortly uh, about manifestos. Other um, manifestos so which not... have been banned by the nation state of Aotearoa, New Zealand. Mm. So a lot of follow-up to the um, to the mosque shootings of a couple of weeks ago. Uh, so it talks about terrorist manifestos, talks about uh, what's going on with uh, the new attempts at uh, gun control, uh, which, as you'll, you'll, you probably uh, can imagine, has involved a bit of a bit of skullduggery by certain pro-gun forces. Sorry. And. Um, and then more talk about manifestos, where it turns out that, that one of them might have been booby-trapped in some yeah. sort of electronic If it turns fashion. out you have a copy of the terrorist manifesto, you may want to check to see whether it hasn't got a Trojan in it which rewrites your master boot record. Because there are copies out there now, which if you open them, it's going to rewrite your master boot record, which means you're not going to be able to boot your machine up. Yes, so that, that's the public service announcement. For more details, stick around uh, when we do our, our, our thing for our patron, our lovely, patron listeners. Our lovely, lovely patrons. Who we say at the end of every bonus episode, we tell our patrons how much we like them better than all of the rest of you. And frankly, I, I don't see why we should hide that. Yeah, they, they they are better than the rest of you. They're better they, looking. They smell better. They give us money. They give us money. That's that's good. 
it's a kind of thin thin sub thing really mm, mm. Uh, so if you'd like to be a patron please do so on the other hand if you don't want to be a patron that's that's actually quite fine yeah know? i mean just, you're just having a bunch of listeners it's, that's, not, that's... it's not that you smell bad no it's just, you just you don't, don't smell as good yeah you don't you don't smell mm. good and I mean, for being one of our listeners i would say you smell better than anyone who doesn't listen to this podcast it's true but you yeah. could smell better mm. for a dollar, for a, a, month. dollar a month <laughs> you could smell your better. odor could be substantially improved it's, i mean and we have testimonials people give us money and they do recognize the change mm, mm. none of that's true but that's okay uh so i think we will say goodbye to our regular listeners now uh and then shortly say hello to our patron listeners in the bonus content indeed indeed Indeed. Does he ever actually put inflections on it, or is it exactly that same monotone every time? It is almost so always, always an, indeed. It's not an indeed. No, it's not, not indeed. It's, it's not Harry Potter, as Alan Rickman is wont to do. Or as, mm. although, as I was listening to a podcast today, every person who says Harry Potter in the Harry Potter films starts off as if it's wry and then turns it into a question. Ah. Harry Potter? Anyway, goodbye. Indeed. You've been listening to the podcaster's Guide to the Conspiracy, starring Josh Addison and Dr. M.R. Extenter, which is written, researched, recorded, and produced by Josh and M. You can support the podcast by becoming a patron via its Podbean or Patreon campaigns. And if you need to get in contact with either Josh or M, you can email them at podcastconspiracy at gmail.com or check their Twitter accounts, Mikey Fluids and Conspiracism. December was a night.